Countertops, name of your company? Four Origins Concrete Design. And you are based in Ferndale, I yes. understand? Yes. Very good. You've been doing this for quite a while. It 12 seems years. To be, yeah? Yeah. So the market, I'm guessing, is, is, is increasing for this product. Uh, you know, it's going up a little bit, yeah, but um, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well. I never, I never get too... Uh, I just like to keep it as is. It's quite like that. Understood. Well, thanks for being here. I certainly appreciate it. Taking time out of your day on a Friday is not an easy thing to do. Uh, very special guest here today. My son, Alex Folly, is with us. He is a college student, a freshman at Kalamazoo College, home for the month. And uh, his mom basically wouldn't let him sit around doing nothing all day. So I dragged him down here to be on the people's panel today. I'm just kidding, by the way. But, uh, thanks for being here, bud. Thank you. Appreciate it very Thank much. You. And the only reason I'm bringing him on is because he actually knows a lot more about stuff than I do. So that's a good thing to have in your back pocket. <laughs> so welcome. I'm glad to have you here. And, and I guess we'll get started. I mean, the big news that came out yesterday, I mean, look, we all live in sort of this Donald Trump land right now. You know, there's news swirling around him all the time, new tweets coming out all the time. But now, with the Mueller investigation, we seem to be getting somewhere. Michael Cohen, of course, Trump's longtime fixer slash attorney, pled guilty to lying to Congress yesterday, entered a guilty plea in there, suggesting that he lied to Congress about working on a deal to build a new Trump hotel in Moscow during the 2016 campaign, told Congress that there wasn't anything going on. President Trump, in the meantime, has said all along that he doesn't have any business with Russia, didn't have any plans to do any business with Russia. There's no collusion, blah, blah, blah. Now he's saying, well, you know, we were working on a deal, but it was totally legal. You guys see this as sort of a turning point in this, in this investigation? Are we actually getting somewhere, and are we starting to learn a little bit more about what was really going on? Because it seems to me that the key question is whether or not Russia has any leverage over this president. Did this impact the approach that they took to Russia? I don't, I'm not entirely sure because I know like the, uh, the investigation itself is about whether or not the Russians colluded to get him elected president, yep. but I feel like this could be an interesting way to look at whether or not he actually did collude with the Russians by giving him business deals and a hotel deal. And I think that's really interesting because um, uh, we have, I think like we've been looking at like two investigations, whether or not he colluded with the Russians and whether or not he has business ties with the Russians while he was, and people were starting to look into his shady business ties as well. And so I think now this finally like connects both of those investigations and, and ties them together for the first time, really. Well, and that was, was sort of the red line, too, yeah. that the Trump was, was talking about. Wasn't one of the, the business deals of this Russian hotel had to do with like a $50, $50 million penthouse pad that he was given to Putin for this hotel? So right there, it just seems it's fishy, but I'd rather I'd like to sit there and wait until Mueller comes out before mm -hmm. I say there's a smoking gun. Yeah, I, I'm not sure there's ever going to be a smoking gun there. But at the same time, you know, again, the question is, is this the kind of thing that would give him leverage, would alter the way that he perceives Russia, the way that he deals with Russia and some of the things that they've been involved in? Because there's, there's a lot of questions about, frankly, whether or not. They soften their position on Russia as a party, as the part of the platform of the convention. There's now some discussion that, you know, Trump was definitely new. He, he lied and said, I didn't say anything about Russia uh, and, and changing the platform. But no, now it does look like he directly said, no, we need to soften our stance against Russia uh, as part of our party's platform. And he pushed for that at the convention. He's got people directly contradicting his testimony and some of the answers that he might have given to Mueller's team. They say that um, prior to Trump, uh, six in ten uh, Republicans did not have Russia in a positive light. That time has now changed. I think three in ten. Mm -hmm. 
So his influence on the U.S. voting public and when it, when it comes to Russia is very influential. And so right there, I feel is, is fishy, you know, especially when you're dealing with a foreign entity that is attacking sovereign states. Yeah, with Ukraine. That's with Ukraine, like, exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and so that's the question. Is this the kind of thing, can he effectively deal with Russia on a question like this as all this stuff is, is out there? And, and as this stuff swirls, he's at the G20 summit right now. Mm -hmm. There's discussions on whether or not he's actually going to talk to Vladimir Putin. Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Russia wants the meeting. Trump's cornered, now says he doesn't want to have it, but it looks like it might happen anyway. I don't know. He may just be soft. I feel like he has really been softening up his position because he um, was basically making concessions during the last meeting that he had with uh, Vladimir Putin in Helsinki. And I think like a bunch of people in Washington we're saying it was like one of the most disgraceful moments in U.S. foreign policy in modern history, really. And like since then, many of those people who have been calling uh, President Trump out on his foreign policy aren't going to be in the next Congress. And so this, the Congress has gotten, the Republican Party has gotten more Trumpier and more of the opposition has left. And so I feel like that gives him more wiggle room to push his agenda with the Republican base because many of his opponents in the Republican Party are gone. Well, opponents within the Republican Party, but he's got a new opponents that are going to be coming into office mm -hmm. in January and the Democrats. And, and so the question is, if you're the Democrats, you know, how, how, how much do you start opening that can of worms again, going back into the investigation that the House you know, Committee on Intelligence didn't really do a real investigation on, on any of no. this kind of stuff? Would you reopen it or is it the kind of thing you leave alone and let Mueller do his job? As a voting Democrat or a, a, a left leaning person, you know, Trump is our biggest um, rallier, you know, so it's like, do I want Trump to leave? No, you know, to me, he, he brought on this wave of, you know, females, um, new ethnicities into, into Congress. I mean, I, I think they have to walk a line. It's, well, what would you do? Would you, would you want him to go after him? I do want them to go after him because I feel like for too long the current House representatives in the Senate have basically given him a pass. I think now that the Democrats are in control of the House of Representatives, now he can find, he's finally starting to understand that, oh, wait, I won't have a pass anymore. I'm actually going to have to not only, like, his, think about it, his legislative agenda is effectively dead now because that's, there's no way, like, his border wall is going to pass the House. What legislative agenda? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. That's, I haven't seen much of, of one of those. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, you know, yeah, you can... You can govern by presidential fiat for only so long. At some mm -hmm. point, you're going to need the cooperation of the legislative branch, and I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Well, infrastructure soon. might be something. That Infra yeah. Well, like, wait, we had Infrastructure Week, remember? We did that, what, last year for a whopping total happen. of two days? There was no money. It was basically a, a really weak federal match. Mm -hmm. They were going to give, what, $30 billion, and the states had to come up with 300 to yeah. get some of that $30 billion, which is nothing. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe um, something larger will happen than it. I, maybe, maybe. Maybe it will. Uh, but the other thing that I want to talk about about Trump, though, that was really puzzling to me this week, his own administration, his appointees, his teams that were looking into climate science, came out with a very dire uh, climate change report that he is now trying to back away from, saying it's not a big deal. Um, basically saying that the science of their own administration is not to be trusted at this point in time. And, and so... As somebody that's actually going to inherit this place um, and probably have to deal with some of the ramifications of this, Alex, I mean, how are you feeling about 
where the president's coming down in this and whether or not we're responding. I'm just not, I'm honestly not that surprised with President Trump. I mean, this is the man who campaigned on clean coal, as he called it. He wants to, like, I feel like his administration is in the pockets of the big oil companies. So it's really not surprising that he's contradicting his own administration's climate policy. I mean, he pulled out of the Paris Agreement. And I feel like this makes the situation more dire because now that the U.S. is basically ignoring not only the Paris climate deal, but ignoring their own top climate scientists, it makes the situation more dire for me because, um, because if, you know, if we don't fix the climate change, if we don't, like, start fixing our energy sources now, it's going to affect, you know, polar ice caps. It's going to cause mass extinctions. The weather is going to get you know, more extreme. And with those ice caps melting, it's going to cause the east and west coasts not to flood and possibly the entire, like, coastal region of the whole world to flood. And so it's a dire situation that we have to take seriously. Well, well Trump, but, won't, Trump won't react unless it affects his pocketbook. Yeah. And so it, <laughs> those east coast, you know, reality, you know, properties that he owns, is, once they're affected, once his golf courses on the oceans yeah. are affected, that's when he's going to be like, oh, maybe, maybe this, but right now he, he, doesn't, he doesn't see care. it, he doesn't care, and he, he, he doesn't care what facts are out there, he will create his own um, narrative of, of what is actually true. And, and, and it's, it's sad to say that there are people that will just go along with whatever yeah. he says. Well, I, the thing that I think is, is problematic for me is that, you know, he said, look, we could do all these things. We could make all these changes, but these other countries are contributing. They're not doing anything, so why yeah. should we do everything? I, I guess I'm troubled by sort of this, this notion that we don't lead by example anymore as a nation. We need to lead by example. We've stopped. We've, we've given up that mantle. Yeah. This America first thing just basically says we're going to do what we want and not worry about anything else. I, I, I see that as problematic um, because, you know, having that moral sort of high road, high ground, is something that, yeah, we're not perfect by any stretch, no, but we did no. have... We did have a lot over some of these other nations yes. that we are, we're yeah. ceding that, that position I mean, to. I mean, China's going to take that over. Yeah, I mean, looking at our relationship with many of our closest allies, it's bec- they've become broken out alliances. I mean, we were closest allies with, like, Britain and Germany and France and Canada. And now, like, you know, we're he's... We're disc- with them on a daily at, basis. Yeah, and now he's getting closer to Russia. And I just think it's crazy, because who would have told me, like, three years ago and that, like, we would be flipping alliances instead of being close with like Canada of all countries we're you know budding up with Saudi Arabia and Russia well authoritarian countries mm-hmm. this is this is my favorite tweet about this issue though right about about the climate change issue this is from President Trump and I just have to put this out there because it was just so Trump this yeah peak Trump one of the problems that a lot of people like myself we have very high levels of intelligence but we're not necessarily such believers you look at our air and our water, and it's right now at a record clean. You could tell that's the people of Flint. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> there one. you go. Mm-hmm. I, and, and that's the kind of thing. I mean, there were 300 scientists that worked on this report, and they said that it wasn't focused on science, and it wasn't focused on data, um, and they're basically trying to use it. Sarah Huckabee Sanders actually said, well, they don't know what they're talking about. We do. Right. Who do they- you believe? I believe the scientists yeah. because they're the they. I mean, they worked in the Obama administration. Many of these EPA officials. They, they worked su- in a lot of different. I mean, they, they worked yeah. in a lot of different administrations. Obama, yeah. yeah, and it's just like I'm surprised not that many of them haven't resigned yet. I think it shows that they're really trying to be the moral high ground here in this situation, trying to reassure not just the country but the whole world that hey, there are people who still care 
about protecting um, the world and who care about ensuring that we can fight against climate change. Well, let's let's stick with the president, but this is something that definitely is impacting us here locally in, in Michigan. Uh, the president has been very critical of General Motors' announcement that they're mm -hmm. going to lay off a bunch of uh, blue-collar workers, frankly. Three big plants, Oshawa, Ontario, Lordstown, Ohio, and, of course, the Town assembly plant are going to be shuttered sometime in 2019. Um, those jobs will be going away. Not sure if there's any indication that they'll mothball them or, or what they're going to do there. Uh, the president, obviously angry and lashing out at Mary Barra, the CEO of, uh, of General Motors, about this. There wasn't a lot of noise about the white-collar job cuts that they announced a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. But once it's blue-collar jobs, of course, then the president gets on there suggesting that GM is stupid and doing bad things. And where's the $11 billion? which they paid back already, by the way. Uh, but... You know, you look at General Motors, and much of the focus on this has been, well, this is GM doing dumb GM things like they did in the past, not paying attention to consumer trends. Uh, I, I don't see it that way. Yeah. Uh, I see General Motors looking ahead to an industry that's about to go through a major, major disruption. It's already starting and trying to basically build up cash reserves as they figure it out and invest in new technology. Derek, I'll start with you on this one. I mean, we have this romantic attachment to automotive jobs in this city. So we think about it a little bit differently than other places do. But, I mean, is this something that we should be expecting across the board from a lot of different companies? Well, um, I have complete confidence in Mary Barra. I mean, I feel like she's, she's, doing, she's making the hard decisions. You know, I don't want to lose jobs because it affects our whole region. You know, we are too tied as Michigan tied to the big three. But I see she's trying to, you know, take care of her, her, her company. And to me, what she's doing is she's doing a good, you know, not a good, not a good job as far as, you know, labor is concerned, but she's doing a good job to restore or keep the bottom line where it needs to be so they can be helpful in the future. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, Alex, you're growing up in a generation, you don't, you don't have a driver's license. No. You're not interested in owning a car. Um, and, and I'm wondering how widespread sort of that notion is out there amongst people your age, because you said the days of selling 17 million cars in the U.S. in a year probably are going away. I mean, there's going to be car sharing. There's going to be there's Uber. There's all kinds of different ways to get around. What is it about cars that you're not interested in? I feel like for most of us, a lot of young people are moving to the big cities. And as you know, the big cities have a lot of like congestion with traffic and all sorts of stuff. So it's really not useful to own a car because, one, you'll have to pay for parking, and, two... Traffic is so bad that it's basically, why would you take a car to drive to work anyways? Because you'll be in traffic for a couple of hours, especially in places like Los Angeles. So many young people are now relying, again, on Uber, public transportation. For example, like most young people like take the subway in New York. They don't own a car to drive like 15 minutes, like 15 blocks to get to their you know, office area. They take the subway to get there. And... Um, for me, it was just it was convenient to live in Gross Point because you know we had I could walk everywhere and be fine. I understand like if you're out in West Bloomfield, that's totally different because they have no sidewalks. You have to drive everywhere. It really just depends on where you're from because if you live in a big city or you live in an area where it's easily accessible by walking everywhere, then you won't really need a car as much. But if you obviously live in a place that I just got yeah. the feeling that you didn't really enjoy driving anyway. I didn't, I didn't enjoy driving. I feel like... You did go to driver's ed. I did go to driver's ed. It's just I, didn't, I feel like I was afraid like going on the road because I saw like a bunch of other reckless driving on the road and it made me kind of like paranoid that I was going to get into a car accident. I have an employee that he doesn't own a vehicle. 
and he lives probably two miles away and he walks to work, maybe rides his bike when he can. Um, and he lives a healthier lifestyle. And, 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 you know, millennials in general, I think, are a little bit more practical. They don't need the hoopla of owning a vehicle, owning a, a snazzy it's new vehicle. It's not hoopla, vehicle. it's just money. Yeah, it's just, it, yeah. It's, and, 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 and you see millennials living in their parents' house longer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he's on campus. He's on campus. Yeah, right. yeah. We'll see that after you graduate. We'll see he's what happens. He's going to be somewhere when he gets I, out of school. I, think... I am feeling New York or San Francisco. Yeah, well, I, yeah. Moving to the, you know, millennials moving to the urban areas. So any, in general, retirees moving to urban areas, you know, like you said, the congestion is a, is a huge, huge factor. Parking your car, paying for parking, all these things add up. And the practicality of owning a car just isn't what it used to be. And also, it's just not just it, owning a car is expensive because yeah. you have to pay, you have to like, have car insurance. You have to pay for the car when you get it. You have to make monthly payments on it, and the the world's just getting more expensive. And especially all these students and all these millennials are moving to big cities, which are already really expensive to live in if you want to pay rent. Right. Like especially in California, where you have to pay like thirteen hundred dollars a month to get like a tiny little apartment in the Bay Area. It, owning a car is another expenditure on top of having to pay for a mortgage, on top of having to pay for. Yeah. A bunch of other stuff like groceries, and, insurance. And so, so when you look at, at cars, you, you're not even like, you know, sitting there going, oh, that's a great looking car. You, you, don't, you really don't care, do you? I don't care. <laughs> Have you ever gone to the, the North American? Oh, yeah, I've gone. It's yeah. fun. It really is. It's fun is. to see the it's car, to see but, it, but to see like, the price tag is another yeah, thing. Just like, Ooh. <laughs> it's like, am I ever going to own this car? Right. I'm not. I could care less if I have this car. And I like looking at them. I don't like talking about them and owning them. Understood. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break here. This is the People's Panel. I'm Craig Folly, your host. Glad to have you with me. Derek Peters is with me. Mm -hmm. Alex Folly. Uh, no resemblance there at all. <laughs> um, we'll be right back. We're going to take a short break. We got when we come back. We got to talk about what's going on in Lansing. As I always say, the stuff that happens in Lansing is the stuff that really impacts us. And they are working on a couple of things in this lame duck session that I think you need to know about. So we'll get into that next. I'm Jackie Callen, co-host of Accent Your Beauty with Dr. Mark Berkowitz, a champion of cosmetic surgery. And he doesn't have to knock anyone out. He just makes you a knockout. Right, Doc? That's right, Jackie. Come to me and I'll knock out wrinkles, I'll knock out fat, and I'll knock out aging. And watch us on new radio media, Accent Your Beauty, Wednesdays at 7. How much you want to bet that 70 episodes turns into nine seasons of the very last joke on the show is we're getting his Szechuan sauce. Hey, Morty, I got the Szechuan sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. Here we go. We are here with David Yost, the original Blue Power Ranger. Nobody promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. I mean... I'm sorry, but your, your excuse is garbage. I'm glad you're back. This is where the game goes out of control. And I'm going to pull out my crossbow and shoot for one of the Sturges on Seraph. Who? What? All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. An arrow just kind of whizzes over the Sturge. Scotty! Not, not the other direction. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm totally a sharpshooter. Wow. It's all about you. And that's the way we like it. Where you're going. What you do to stay fit. What you're eating. What you're thinking. And how you're feeling. 
Join the conversation at NewRadioMedia.com's Lifestyles channel. Stream the life you want to live. Welcome back to the People's Panel. I'm Craig Folley, your host. This is New Radio Media. Glad to have you with me today on this Friday. We're live at the Buell Bar in downtown Detroit. Of course, the People's Panel, again, it's like meet the press, but meet the people instead. No talking, no talking heads, no pundits, no politicians, just regular people talking about the news of the week. Derek Peters is with me, as is Alex Folley. Thank you both for being here on this Friday. Um, let's talk about what's going on in Lansing. The lame duck legislative session is happening. First of all, We'll get into whether or not they should even be a lame duck session, given term limits and all that stuff here in Michigan. This is just something I've been thinking about for a long time. But remember, voters, uh, well, citizens of Michigan signed petitions to put a raise in the minimum wage on the ballot. Rather than have it on the ballot, the legislators took it up with the notion that they wanted to adopt this. So here's what they're talking about. They're going to exempt small businesses, those with fewer than 50 workers, which... I'm sorry, 50 workers is a pretty big business yeah, in my book. Mm -hmm. They're not going to require paid sick leave for them, which would have been under the thing that would have been on the ballot. And they're also going to slow the increase of the state minimum wage to $12 by eight years, pushing it to 2030, which is 12 years from now. Does that almost. keep up with inflation? Years. Probably not. So the thing is, they didn't want this to be on the ballot because they didn't want to have their hands tied on what this law would be. You guys both would have had an opportunity to vote on this had they left it alone. Um, first of all, would you have paid for any? Would you have voted for an increase in the minimum wage? Yes. You don't have to tell me if you don't want to. Um, but what do you think about legislators stalling it in this regard? I would have voted for it if it was on the ballot. Yes, I think like I feel like with the with the uh, lame duck session, I think they're starting to realize that like, oh wait a second, since they're not going to have a Republican governor anymore, their supermajority in the Michigan Senate's gone. So um, if they pass anything and, and the new governor, Gretchen Whitmer, ends up vetoing it, they're not going to have that supermajority to overrun the veto anymore. So they're trying to get as much stuff done now, and they're trying to limit the power of the Secretary of State's office and the Attorney General, and they're just trying... Well, we'll get into yeah. that in just a little bit. That's the second, that's the second part of yeah, this Yeah, they're just discussion. trying to, like, they realize, especially with minimum wage, it's such a popular issue. On most, both sides of the aisle, like, the people typically support hiking the minimum wage, I mean, raising the minimum wage. It passed in many states that had ballot initiatives. I think they didn't want it passed because they knew that um, if it, because it would give them a burden of having to pass, of having to like put it on the legislative agenda itself because they don't want the people to have to vote on it because they don't want a minimum wage raise at all. D Derek, I want to get your thoughts on this one. I mean, Look, I understand if you sit there and, and maybe the, I was looking at some of the tweaks they were talking about before they actually sat down to work on this, where they're saying, look, maybe tipped workers can't have the same increase because that's going to be a burden on restaurant owners to do that kind of stuff, going from, you know, what is it, four bucks an hour plus tips to now 12 bucks an hour plus whatever tips you get as a server. I could see them maybe tweaking that a little bit, but to delay that to 2030 for the increase as opposed to 2020? Yeah, I, I, I don't understand why they even think that's that, that people would, would, would allow that to happen. I just, I mean, that's a, that's a long rollout, um, and 
And it, it really, like we said, we, like I think we said prior, like we, ha- we were going to have a chance to vote on this. And again, the legislation is stepping in um, before we had a chance to vote it, before we had a chance to bring it to referendum and kind of going against what the will of the people really wanted. There is likely going to be a court challenge to this. There is some discussion about whether or not they can adopt and amend a voter initiative in the same year that it was going to be on the ballot. There's some discussion saying that this needs to be paused until the next group of legislators comes in. Of course, the majorities are going to shrink for the Republicans in both houses in Michigan. Um, they very well could come back to it in January, uh, but it would have, you know, just the fact that they're doing it this way, uh, and there's not going to be any political payback for this because most of these guys are leaving office. They're either term limited out or they lost their elections. Should they be allowed to have a say on something no. like this? No. Should, is, is a lame duck an election year, lame duck session an election year, something that needs to be revamped or revisited? Yeah, I mean, I feel like their legislative power should probably be taken away the moment that they lose the election. It's only, what, two months? Two months. You know, and, 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 and just trying to push something through just because, mm-hmm. you know, you're losing your job, I feel like yeah. is, is not the will of voters at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it was two years ago, four years ago, whenever they were voted in, but not at this time. That It has changed, and so should the legislation power shift change as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, with a new party coming in, too, it's like they want to be able to pass all their policy agendas in this lame duck session. And it's unfair because the voters clearly didn't want this. Speaking of what voters didn't want, they elected, of course, Gretchen Whitmer, Dana Nessel, and, and uh, Jocelyn Benson to the three highest positions in the state. One of the other moves that the Republicans are making in Lansing in this lame duck session is to sort of dilute the power that these three would have when they come into office. So what they're trying to do now is create this new commission. It's sort of this fair government oversight commission, or fair political practices commission, they're calling it. The Republicans are pushing for this now. Of course, they didn't push for it when they were in control of all of those branches of government. But basically, it would let the legislature have a say over what the attorney general decides to fight in court, what she doesn't decide to fight in court, uh, over the elections process that the secretary of state now currently oversees, and frankly, would also get into the governor's business a little bit as well on certain things. It would basically insert the legislature in a new way that they have not done before. Um, it seems to me, and this is what a lot of people are calling it, is basically like a you know, sore loser bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they cannot give up control. They are unwilling to cede the same it's, control that they enjoyed yeah. back to the opposition party. Yeah. What should be done about Don't this? Don't they have to appropriate funds for something like that? I mean, what are they going to do? How are you going to... I mean, I just feel like it's, it's, it's them just grasping for power. That, that being said, is that when Democrats eventually do have power, and I hope that that day does come, I'm tired of living in a red state, and the, the, the tide is changing, um, that, you know, they have to not, you know, uh, act or legislate just like the Republicans do and should take a lesson from how they are doing it and not to be so power-hungry. It does seem power hungry. I mean, you were pointing out this morning. This is something that was tried in North Carolina. Yeah, and to that, yeah, when um, they elected the Democratic governor in 2016, they um, they tried to take away the governor's power over appointing Supreme Court justices to the to the North Carolina Supreme Court, and um, it was a way to try to limit the new the power of the new Democratic governor that got elected. And I feel like this is another partisan power grab that um, the legis- uh, the Michigan legislature is trying to do. And, Obviously, they know Rick Snyder's only going to be in office for another month, and so they're trying to take advantage of that while they can, 
until the new governor is sworn in, until the secretary of state is sworn Any in. Any faith that the governor would actually think about vetoing this kind of stuff? If they can lobby him, yes. I know he's definitely more of a moderate in comparison to many of these legislatures who are going to be going out of office as well. He's not as conservative, but at the same time, I don't know. I honestly don't know, because like, he had a, he, he's working really closely with uh, Whitmer over transitioning power, but we're just going to have to see whether or not he vetoes this bill. I, I voted for the governor in his first term, and I voted thinking that he would not touch right to work. I completely thought that. I thought he was a moderate. I thought he would, he would, uh, he would govern between both aisles. I was completely wrong. And, and it's one of those, I'll never vote for a Republican again type, type because of, I thought it was a sacred cow that he wouldn't touch. Do I put it past him that he's not going to um, veto or veto this? I don't really know what he'll do. I hope he won't. I, I try to, I think he won't. I think he, he would veto something like this, but I could be wrong again. I was wrong in the past. Mm -hmm. Well. We've only got a couple of minutes left. I want to ask you one last question. There is actually a bill in Lansing right now. I don't know if it's going to get a hearing or if it's going to pass, but Republicans are trying to push a bill, at least a couple of them, that would end Michigan's bottle deposit law, suggesting that it would actually boost participation in residential recycling programs around the state by not having the deposit on pop cans and things like that. I mean, we don't have deposit on water bottles, which they should Why? if they're going to yeah. do that. But uh, just out of curiosity, wondering what everybody thinks about getting rid of Michigan's 10-cent deposit law. I mean, you don't drink pop. I don't drink pop. But so you like, don't really pay it. No, I don't. But at the same time, it helps. Doesn't? It, is it like a tax almost? Well, it's just ten cents per can, and then you return the cans, get your dime back, and it's a way to keep people from littering because it used yeah. to be before the bottle deposit law, Derek. You remember? I mean, there's garbage everywhere. I, I, I think that the whole littering thing. I'm not saying it's it's gone, but I definitely think it's it's managed a lot better yeah. with the deposit law and with recycling. Do I think we can? Do away with the deposit law. I'm not quite sure, but I know that people recycle more. I myself mm -hmm. take my deposit cans and put them into the recycling bin and don't even take it back anymore. Yeah. I, I, we do have neighborhood people that come around and go through our recycling. Hey, all power to them to take the cans if that's what they want to do. It, 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 it gives them something. But mm -hmm. for me, I'm not big a fan of the deposit. No, yeah. I, it's been in place for so long. Yeah. It's just something yeah, that you do. Yeah, I know do. my grandma, I, sometimes when I stay over at her house, we always go to the grocery store and we, like, take all the cans and the bottles out. That's what a nice grandson you are. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I, it definitely, I think, helps encourage people to not to litter. And I hope, and I don't want, like, a bunch of more trash on the streets. Okay, 30 seconds, 30 seconds. The Supreme Court may take up this case. Should people be able to walk along the beach, or should private property owners own the property from the waterline all the way to their house and, and be able to block it's people? It's never been a problem for us, because we always go to public beaches, and so we always walk on public beaches. But I think they, I think they should be allowed to walk. I mean, people walk along oceans. People walk on sidewalks. I feel like this should be a public access. All right. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up right there. That's the People's Panel for this week. Derek Peters, thank you. Thank Alex you. Folly, thank, thank you. you very much. I'm Craig Folly, and we'll be back next week. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jackie Callen, co-host of Accent Your Beauty with Dr. Mark Berkowitz, a champion of cosmetic surgery. And he doesn't have to knock anyone out. He just makes you a knockout. Right, Doc? That's right, Jackie. Come to me and I'll knock out wrinkles. I'll knock out fat and I'll knock out aging. And watch us on new radio media, Accent Your Beauty, Wednesdays at 7.